I'm Pastor Daryl Curtis, and you're listening to the 36th part of my sermonic review of the biblical design of gender, in which my point is that regardless of our will, we ought to do the will of God because God is wiser than we are, God loves us, and God has our best interest at heart. The following is a presentation of the Family Life Baptist Church in Lansing, Michigan. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeBC.com. Good morning on this uh, first day of the month of August. And the year is just racing by. Our lesson for this morning is the 36th part of our sermon series on the biblical design of gender. And the text this morning is in the book of Joshua, chapter 2, verse 1. And in it, the Bible says this. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. God bless the reading of his word and let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you afresh for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ, for the perfect teaching ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit, and for his ability to explain your word. So give us the words to say and let us say them with liberty, with clarity, and with boldness, and that somebody listening might believe the report. Thanking you in advance for all that you are going to do in the strong and perfect name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Now, thank you very much for coming to hear our message for today. And before we begin this, our next lesson, let us reiterate our reason for attending church. We attend church to obtain the mind of Christ, meaning to have the Bible illuminated in our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that Jesus taught and base our daily personal decisions on those principles. We come to church because we want to be obedient to the Bible, which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ in an informed, insightful, and intelligent manner. Now, our takeaway point in this series on the biblical design of gender is that God has designed man as the cooperative coalition of husband and wife so that men can successfully achieve the objective that God has given us to exercise dominion over the earth, developing wisdom and knowledge in preparation for further responsibility in our eternal life. Now, in our last lesson, we discussed some of the laws of Moses that pertain to the male and female relationship and that men and women are expressions of two different attributes of God. Men are designed to be more objective because of their work orientation, while women are designed to be more subjective because of their relationship orientation. In Genesis chapter 3, after the first sin, God said to the woman in Genesis 3.16, to the woman God said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. So God's future focus for the woman is the nurture of the parent, child, and marital relationships. Children, even from the same parents, have different personalities, and women are designed to analyze their children's personalities and nurture their children in a manner most appropriate to their subjective 
differences. And in God's plan, women are also oriented toward the cementing of their relationships with their husbands who are required to provide so that the woman can nurture the child. And after the first sin, God said to the man in Genesis 3, 17 through 19, then to Adam, God said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil, you shall eat of it all of the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So God's future focus for the man is toil, which is a synonym for work. And God tells the man that his work will not always be productive, but work will cause the man to exert himself. The ground that the man has to work does not have a personality as do children, as do the children that he is going to produce with his wife. And farming does not particularly call for the nurturance of subjective relationships. Thus, the man is more objective. He is concerned with objective facts and figures rather than the subjectivity of relationships. How many seeds per row he needs to plant to maximize his crop? What soil characteristics are most conducive to prop conduct production? And other such mundane, repetitious concerns. The man soon finds that he maximizes production by objectifying his environment because that which works the best can be done over and over again, year after year. God told Noah in Genesis chapter 6, verse 22, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. And interestingly, although the woman has the primary responsibility for nurturing relationships, God put the man in charge of his family because of his subjective focus. Listen to the charge that God gave Joshua, the replacement for Moses, whom God chose to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. God said in Joshua chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And God called for Joshua to lead the children of Israel objectively, not by the seat of his pants or by his best guess, but according to the law that he, God, gave Moses, which Moses summarized in the book of Deuteronomy. God gives Joshua a roadmap to conquer the promised land, and all Joshua has to do to be successful is to follow it. And what does God mean when he admonishes Joshua to be strong and of good courage? You may remember one of our previous readings in the law. 
in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 13, 14, 20, and 21, which says, If any man takes a wife and goes into her and detests her and charges her with shameful conduct and brings the bad name on her and says, I took this woman, and when I came to her, I found that she was not a virgin. But if the thing is true and evidences of virginity are not found for the young woman, then they shall bring out the young woman to the door of her father's house. And the men of her city shall stone her to death with stones, because she had done a disgraceful thing in Israel to play the harlot in her father's house. So you shall put away the evil from among you. Now, how would you like to be Joshua, having to adjudicate the death of a young Israelite woman just because she fooled around a little? Granted, that's a pretty big sin, but does the punishment fit the crime? Just imagine listening to the pleas of the mother of the young woman who bore the young woman in her womb and raised her from a baby. How do you think that the mother's recitation of her love for her daughter and pleas for her daughter's life would affect you as a judge? After all, it's probably not the young woman's fault. The blame probably lies with the young man that talked her into having sex, and he is not liable for any penalty. Couldn't she just annul the marriage to her husband and marry the young man with whom she had sex, which would keep her from being stoned? Well, now consider how you would deal with the situation where you called to judge. Keep in mind that you cannot really turn back time and that things that have been done generally cannot be undone. The first fellow that had sex with her may not want to marry her because she's had sex with someone else. So the marriage situation I just postulated may not be feasible. But no matter the alternate plan that you design, the law is straightforward and the penalty is clear. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Now there are clearly only two solutions to the problem. You can objectively evaluate the young woman's act actions and give her the appropriate penalty according to the law of God or you can be subjective and dismiss and ignore the law of God in favor of that which you might subjectively term as mercy. What is the difference between the two solutions? God tells Joshua in the last sentence of Joshua 1.8, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. And for Israel, Success was dependent upon Joshua adjudicating the law consistently with God's intent. Joshua's boss was not the young woman's mother and father. Joshua's boss was God. And God told Joshua that if he followed the law, the nation of Israel would be successful. The Israelites could not conquer the promised land on the strength of their military ability. The Israelites were not trained Marines. They were the descendants of slaves from Egypt. 
And had it not been for God sending the ten plagues and drowning the Egyptians in the Red Sea, the Israelites would still have been Egyptian slaves. So God sent the Israelites on a mission to follow God's instructions with God's power. And without God's power, the Israelites had no chance to complete the mission. So it was imperative that the Israelites maintain their connection to the power of God by doing that which God said to do. The young woman's mother, however, was probably not overly concerned about pleasing God if doing so meant the death of her daughter. The focus of the young woman's mother is the daughter whom she expected to bring her grandchildren with which to play. The focus of the young woman's mother is the daughter with whom she looked forward to sharing her wisdom about marriage and comparing notes about their respective husbands. The focus of the young woman's mother is the daughter whom the mother expected to take care of her as she neared the end of her life. The focus of the young woman's mother, uh, mother is the daughter with whom she nurtured a relationship for the daughter's entire life. And the leader of Israel would have been caught between the objective word of God and the subjective focus of the mother. And he had to make a choice. And God is clear. Joshua chapter 1 verse 7 and 8 says, Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Remember that which the Lord told the man in the garden in the eighth portion of Genesis 3.17? Then to Adam God said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife. Adam's error was forsaking the objective word of God in order to heed the subjective request of his wife to eat of the fruit. Adam proved to be neither strong nor courageous in the face of temptation, but rather caved into the pressure of his wife, disobeyed God, and ate the fruit that his wife gave him. But it requires the correct mindset to do that which the Lord says to do, notwithstanding that we will have personal feelings that tell us to do the opposite. And Adam did not have the correct mindset. And God commanded Moses to record this episode of Adam in the Bible as a warning to leaders even before God gave Moses the law. So Joshua has his objective marching orders. Given the law of Moses and the example of Adam, Joshua has objective instructions for conquering the promised land. Joshua chapter 1, verse 10 and 11 says, Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And Joshua commanded the people to prepare to receive the blessing of God in the land that God was giving them. 
but Joshua prepared himself as well. Our text, Joshua chapter 2, verse 1 records, Now Joshua the son of Nun sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. Now the first time that Israel prepared to enter the promised land, 40 years earlier, God commanded Moses to send spies into the land to do reconnaissance. Numbers chapter 13, verse 1 through 3, 26 through 28 and 30 records, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, everyone a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. Their cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Now Joshua and Caleb were, only two, or were the only two of the twelve spies that understood Israelite history and had confidence that God would empower them to conquer the promised land. But all of the Israelites that left Egypt with Moses were former slaves that should have had confidence in the grace of God. Why? There was no agriculture in the wilderness. Their food was the manna that fell from heaven every morning. And manna was indigenous to neither the wilderness nor Egypt, but was a special dispensation of the grace of God that the Israelites received daily. The objective experience of being brought out of Egypt by God and the evaluation of Caleb should have given the men of Israel confidence. But the ten other spies looked at the situation subjectively. Numbers 13, 31 to 33 records, but the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they spied out saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. We saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. The 10 spies did not consider the objective truth of the word of God, but used their own subjective estimation of their personal capabilities as their barometer. They were subjectively correct. The people in the land were stronger and taller than they. But the Egyptians had chariots and an army and were militarily stronger than the Israelites as well. And the Israelites watched as God defeated and drowned Egypt. 
So why did they not recognize that God could defeat all of their adversaries? They should not have forgotten about the power of God. Every meal that they ate came directly from God. So God responded to their lack of faith in Numbers chapter 14, verse 22 to 24. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the sign which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit him. And the Bible tells us that God sentenced the children of Israel to 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. All of the men that rejected the objective power of God died in the wilderness rather than entering the promised land. And as the 40 years of wandering came to an end and the rebellious Israelites died out, God gave this next generation of Israelites that did not actually see the victories in Egypt military practice to prepare them for the conquest in the land by arranging skirmishes between the Israelites and the Canaanites. Numbers 21 records that this next generation of Israelites defeated the king of Arad at Hormah, the king of Sihon at Hezbah, and king Og at Bashan. King Balak of Moab saw that he could not defeat the Israelites militarily because God was with them, so rather than sending his army to fight with Israel, he sent Moabite and Midianite women to seduce Israel. Number 25, 1 through 4 records, Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. So Israel was joined to the Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord, out in the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And 24,000 idolaters died because of their unfaithfulness to God at Acacia Grove, which left Moses, along with Joshua and Caleb, the two faithful spies that argued in favor of following God, as the only living men that were adults when the Israelites left Egypt. Then Moses turned his authority over to Joshua and then traveled up to the top of Mount Nebo to look over the promised land that God told him that he would never enter. Moses died on Mount Nebo, which brings us to the current point in this episode. Our text, Joshua chapter 2, verse 1 records, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. Now Joshua only sent two spies. Only two of the 12 men that Moses sent out to spy the land came back with the correct report, and Joshua did not need to send any more spies than necessary to bring back the required information. And since the spies wanted to make their movement surreptitious, they chose not to lodge at an inn, a hotel, or any place that would provide a public record of their presence. 
They chose, rather, to go to a residence that was more oriented toward anonymity. But because of the Israelite conquest of the king of Shihon at Heshbon and king Og at Bashan, the Israelites were already famous in Jericho. When the owner of the whorehouse, Rahab, took them in, she guessed that Israel's conquest of the city was forthcoming. Unfortunately, Rahab was not the only one that could figure out what was about to happen. And although the two spies tried to conceal their movements, to do so proved to be impossible in a city that was fully alerted to the presence of the Israelites. When they were spotted and their destination reported to the king of Jericho, the king sent men to arrest the spies. Joshua chapter 2, verse 2 and 3 records, And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out the country. And Rahab decided to conceal the whereabouts of the Israelite spies and send the king's men on a wild goose chase. She explained her loyalty to these Israelites over the authorities in her own town in Joshua chapter 2, verse 8 through 13. Now before the men lay down, Rahab came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. Now Rahab made the objective decision to align herself and her family with the God of the Israelites. Her decision was a function of her knowledge of the many miracles that God did to defeat the Egyptians, the Aradites, and the Amorites. The history of Israel persuaded Ahab that our God is the Lord of both the heavens and the earth. And the idols that the people of Jericho worshipped never did anything. And certainly nothing as concrete as that which God did at the Red Sea, drowning the Egyptians. Every deed attributed to an idol god could easily be attributed to coincidence and or imagination. But the deeds of God recorded in the scripture are so dramatic that it is impossible to attribute them to anything except God. And as a matter of fact, the deeds attributed to idols are generally plagiarized from that which God himself has done. And we don't know the half of God's deeds in the earth. 
that great witness for Jesus, John the Revelator tells us in John chapter 21, verse 25, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that not even the world itself could not, could, that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So Rahab's decision to have objective faith in God is something that we should emulate today. Just as the king of Jericho enlisted Rahab's assistance in his opposition of God, the various rulers of our society endeavor to enlist our assistance in their plan to defeat the will of God. But just as Rahab chose to have courage to cast her lot with God rather than the men of Jericho, we ought to have the same courage. And there is a benefit for those who choose to do so. Joshua chapter 1 verse 7 and 8 says, Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And just as there were idolatrous, immoral forces leading the city of Jericho, there are idolatrous, immoral forces in our society in positions of leadership. And when we see immorality, we ought to find ourselves on the Lord's side. Now, John had a problem and needed counsel. He told his counselor, my wife and I are concerned that my daughter and her live-in boyfriend want to come and visit us. They say they don't want to sleep together while in our home, according to her, because they know how we feel about it. The question is, are we giving tacit approval to them by letting them visit us as a couple? The counselor replied, yes. Tell your daughter that you'll meet her out at a restaurant, but her living with a shack-up boyfriend is something by which you are very offended and something for which you have a great deal of disrespect, and you are not going to have it in your house. You don't want to see the guy that is treating her like an unpaid whore. Now, John, in the old days, a father would not have any trouble saying that. In fact, in the past, the father would take the guy out for a duel over the breach of his, father's, of, of his daughter's honor. Why are you afraid to say anything to this guy that is treating your daughter with such disrespect? John replied, well, my wife is concerned that we are going to shut off communication. The counselor retorted, until she grows up and does the right thing, yes, you are. Tell your wife that that is exactly what might happen. And her point is what? John replied, well, I agree with you, but I offend my wife when I say that. And I certainly offend my daughter. The counselor frowned. John, we need someone to be the man here. I assume you have the equipment for the job. Let them both be offended. You will still be the man. And get in this guy's face and tell him that you don't appreciate him treating your daughter like an unpaid whore, the counselor said. John gulped. Well, she said it's her fault. 
she's had medical problems in the past, and the counselor cut him off saying, John, what's so complicated about this? Tell the guy that you don't appreciate him treating your daughter like an unpaid whore, man to man. Don't ask your daughter or your wife for, for permission. You are the man. You don't need their permission. And what your daughter says doesn't matter. The guy is the one treating your daughter like an unpaid whore. It doesn't matter to you that she's volunteering. As her father, your job is to get in the face of anyone treating your daughter badly and give them a piece of your mind. Yes, I know you can't keep them from doing it, but make it clear in no uncertain terms that you disrespect this guy for treating your daughter like that, man to man. John replied, well, I just have to convince my wife. No, said the counselor. John, just do this man to man. No wives or daughters involved. You don't have to convince anybody. Even if neither of them is convinced, that doesn't make any difference. Your job is to stand up for your daughter in spite of your daughter, your wife, and anybody else. Your daughter needs you to be the man. She is probably in this situation because you didn't put your foot down when you should have. Now, your daughter is the one making contact with you. She's calling you for permission to come home. Tell her that she can come home anytime without her stud, but she can't come home with him at all and then tell him man to man that you don't want to see his face while he's treating your daughter with disrespect bottom line that's what you have to do you have to call the meeting to order there's nobody else john you're the man joshua chapter 1 verse 7 and 8 says only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And the strongest and most courageous man in recorded history was Jesus Christ. God gave Jesus an assignment just as he gave an assignment to Joshua. And as Jesus faced his assignment at the cross in Matthew 26 and 39, Jesus went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And the strength for which God is calling is the strength to say, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Regardless of our will, we ought to do the will of God because God loves us and has our best interests at heart. God tells us in John 3, 16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have an everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. 
And to save the world, God's son, Jesus Christ, gave his life on Calvary in an act of courageous obedience to the will of God. And God rewarded Jesus' obedience by raising Jesus physically from the dead on that first Easter Sunday morning so that we could believe, even as Joshua and Caleb believed, in the power of God. Jesus' physical example gives us faith in him, just as the defeat of Egypt at the Red Sea gave faith in God to the courageous men in Israel and the harlot in Jericho. And as we go down from this place and back into our sick society, let us emulate the courage and moral authority of Jesus Christ and observe to do that which God tells us to do. And if we do so, we will have good success. And that is our lesson for today. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you for this lesson this morning. And we ask you, Lord, that you would allow us to glean the intelligence from your word. That we, you would give us the understanding of the wisdom that is there. And help us to govern ourselves according to that wisdom. That we might lead, lead lives that are pleasing to you. Help us to put our subjective desires behind us when they conflict with your word and give us that which we require to have courage that we might be able to do that which you tell us to do in your word that we might have good success because of your power that stands behind us. And now Lord, we thank you for all that are in the house today and we ask you that you would give us traveling mercies as we go down from this place and then bring us back once again at the appointed time. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you were blessed by this presentation. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeBC.com.